couple, a couple of months ago, I was talking to a high school student who was having some conversations with their friend about faith. And their friend was a Christian, and their friend had said to them that they could essentially do whatever they wanted in life because God had forgiven them. They could continue sinning. They could continue just doing life however they thought they could because Jesus was going to forgive them. They were forgiven, and no matter what they did, in the end, Jesus was going to bring them into eternity, bring them into heaven. Therefore, they could live however they wanted. They were saved. They could sin and not worry. And the student that I was talking with came to me and was asking me, is this true, Sam? Like, is, is, this, is, this, is my friend right? And I looked at this student and I said, yes and no. The student's friend got one thing right. If we have believed in Jesus and trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins, then we are saved, period. There is nothing we can do that, that can separate us from the love of Christ. However, it occurred to me that this teenager's attitude about the Christian life, a life lived from salvation to resurrection at the end with no really thought about God in between, might reflect a common misconception that we have. It, we might actually think and live out something similar in, li in, in our lives. We might actually believe that this Christian life is salvation and heaven at the end. And in between, really we just do whatever we want. There's nothing to do in the middle. Church, let me tell you, that is a tragic misunderstanding of what Christianity is. And that is a tragic misunderstanding of God's will for your life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing the fact that God saves us and that God brings us into eternity. We talked about that part last week. It is amazing what God has given us, and it's amazing that God saves us. But God wants to do so much more in your life in the middle. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And that's what Peter is talking about in our passage. He wants us to see that God wants to do far more in our lives right now than I think we expect or anticipate. God doesn't, he, Peter wants us to see that God does not, does, not just want us, does not just want to save us and bring us to heaven, heaven. He wants to save us to make us holy and then bring us into heaven. Peter wants us to know, Peter is calling us to live a holy life for God. In verses 15 and 16, Peter writes this. He says, as he, as God who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter calls us to live a holy life for one main reason, church, and it is that God is holy. He says, be, he quotes the Old Testament, be holy, for I am holy, God said to Israel. And Peter says the same applies to us. We pursue holiness because God is holy. What does it mean to be holy? What does, it, what, what does that mean? To be holy... Put simply, it means to be set apart. You can think about it this way. I enjoy watching movies. I will watch almost any movie you put in front of me. I like to talk about movies. I like to read articles about movies. I, I will watch trailers and pick them apart. I get excited about movies. But there are only a handful of movies that I will watch repeatedly, that I will make sure my friends see, that I will buy DVD copies of. Yes, I still buy DVD copies, even though we're streaming everything now. But these are the movies that I want to show to my children. These are the movies that have moved me in mighty ways, spoken to me, and did, done things in my life. In a way, these movies are set apart from the rest. They are special. They are holy, in a way. You can think about it like this. Maybe you're an outdoorsman or an outdoorswoman, and you, and you just enjoy being outdoors, fishing, hiking, climbing, kayaking, whatever it is, all of the above. 
you enjoy the outdoors, and while you enjoy being outdoors anywhere, there are special places that you love to go. Special places where maybe you shared an important moment with someone. Places that you want to take your friends to. Places that you want to share. Those places are, in a way, set apart from the rest. They are holy. This is what it means to be holy. God is holy, meaning he is set apart from the rest of the world. There is nothing, no one like him. There is no one like our God. And we have to remember this because so often in this Christian life, sometimes we put God as like one authority among many in our lives. We've got God, we've got our country's leaders, we've got uh, coaches or teachers, or we've got all these people. And sometimes we put God as like one advisor in our life among many. But what we have to realize is that there is no one like our God. He is holy. When God told Israel, be holy, for I am holy, which Peter is quoting here, he was telling them, hey, Israel, be set apart like I am set apart. I am set apart from this world. You be set apart from this world. So if we bring that into our context, what Peter is saying to us when he says, be holy as God is holy, is be set apart from the world. He's saying there should be no one like us in this world. There should be no one who has greater love than us in this world because we are holy like God is holy and his love is greater. We should be known for how much we are like Jesus. We should be known for how set apart from this world, for how much we pursue God in this world. God's nature demands that we pursue holiness in our lives now, that we live a holy life. We who have been called by God are called to be holy as he is. This is our task now. This is what that friend of the student I was talking to didn't understand. They understood, I'm saved, I'm forgiven no matter what. Nothing I can do can separate me from the love of Jesus. But what they didn't understand is that God wants to do something now in my life. God wants to make me holy. That's what God wants to do in your life right now, church. God wants to make you holy Peter says in verse 15 that we have been called. And later in chapter 2, he adds on to this. He says that we have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. We have been called out of darkness, meaning there was a time when we did not know God. There was a time, maybe you were young, maybe it was last week, who knows. There was a time when you did not know God. God was not real in your life. But then there was a time when we encountered God and God came into our life. We saw the light and we came out of darkness. We who were in spiritual darkness came into the light. And when that happens, nothing can stay the same. You can think about it this way. When you're a kid and you learn that a hot pot on the stove that'll burn you if you touch it, you don't touch it. You touch it one time and you don't have to touch it again to know it's gonna burn you. So you, don't, you stop touching it. Or here's another example. When you learn that grabbing a hot electrical wire shocks you and is dangerous, you don't keep grabbing it. I actually did that when I was in high school. I was helping my dad renovate our kitchen, wasn't thinking, was holding something in his hand, grabbed an electrical wire, sticking it out of the wall and almost passed out. But when I recovered, I didn't do it again because I had learned. I had learned something. Here's the point. When, you, when we learn that God is real, we cannot continue as if we have not learned something. We cannot continue as if nothing has changed. We, shouldn't, we have been called out of darkness, and therefore we should not remain ignorant of God in our lives. We cannot just live for heaven 
and lead God in the south where, where he saved us back there. In verse 14, Peter writes, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not continue living as you once did. Peter says, do not continue living in sin. Do not live as if nothing has changed. For everything has changed, Peter says. You now have a relationship with the eternal God of the universe. Nothing can be the same in your life with that. Nothing can be the same. You have experienced a love greater than any love imaginable. You cannot not change. We cannot act ignorant in response to that. Instead, we should be, each be the child that God has called us to be. Peter says, as obedient children, verse 14, be holy in all your conduct. As obedient children, be holy like your father is holy. We need to think of God like a father. Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp, two incredible pastors, Christian counselors, decades of experience between them, they wrote a book called How People Change, and this is what they say in the beginning of that book. They say the New Testament is clear that our acceptance into the family of God is not the end of God's work in us, but the beginning. God has not called us to a life of, I have spiritually arrived, or I am just waiting for heaven. Rather, he calls us to a life of constant work, constant growth, and constant confession and repentance. Making us holy is God's unwavering agenda until we are taken home to be with him. God doesn't want us to wait until eternity to worry about being godly. God wants us to worry about it now. God wants to make us holy now. And when God calls us out of darkness, he welcomes us into his family. But we need to understand that when we come into God's family, it's not like we're brothers. It's not like we're equals with God. We are sons and daughters young children under his leadership and like parents in the room like you raise your children god wants to raise us up to be holy like a child obeys their parents we obey god we seek out his commands and his word and we obey his word we don't gossip we call for justice we give generously. We do all the things that God's word says, but that's not all the Christian life is. Sometimes that's what we make the Christian life in this in-between stage between salvation and resurrection. Do these things, don't do these things. Have these beliefs, don't have these beliefs. But that's so much more. There's, there's so much more in a relationship with God. We grow close to God like a child grows close to its parents. Our relationship is ever deepening with God. As we grow to know him, we begin to catch his holiness. You can think about this with your parents or who, the people who raised you. Here's what I mean. I love to cook. You can ask my wife. I am the cook in our house. She, does, she doesn't like to cook. I'm not lying. You can ask her. Um, I love to cook, but I'll tell you why I love to cook. It's because when I was growing up, I had a mom who cooked and who taught me to cook and shared with me her love for cooking, and that was just part of life together, and I caught that from her. It rubbed off on me. The same thing is true with my dad. I love reading. I love anything regarding history about World War II. Why? Because my dad was. And growing up, and as our relationship deepened, we talked about World War II. We watched documentaries. We read books and discussed shows. I caught that from him. It rubbed off on me. You can probably think of things that rubbed off on you from your parents. As our relationship with God deepens over time, we catch his holiness. 
as we pray and read in our Bibles and talk with him throughout our day, we catch him. We catch his patience. We catch his love. We catch his holiness, his wisdom, his justice, his goodness, his kindness. These things rub off on us. This is how we live a holy life, by being connected to the vine and letting it change us. Instead of just following the rules of a God that is up there or out there, we listen to the God that is walking beside us in life. Church, let me ask you, do you want to be holy? Do you want to enjoy that kind of intimate relationship with God? I know that often we can kind of look at history and we see these people, Christians, who it just seems like they walked with God. Like they just, they were so close to God and they, like they just, they, they had amazing peace or they had amazing boldness or they had, they had amazing kindness and gentleness. And sometimes we may look at them and go, oh man, I wish I could be like that. God wants to grow those things in you. God wants to grow holiness in you. If this is what you want, which I think it is what we should all want. It's what Peter wants us to pursue. We must be overcome by God's love because growing in holiness is not the kind of thing that we can just put, you know, it's, it's not like achieving a, a, some goals where we, we can't just put our head down, push forward and say, okay, I'm gonna be holy. A week from now, I'm holy. No, it's not like that. We can't do that. But to be holy, we must be overcome by God's love until we understand the depth of God's love for us despite our sin, we will struggle to be holy. Until we understand his love, we will struggle to love. Until we understand his patience with us, we will struggle to be patience, patient with others. Until we understand his concern for justice, we will struggle to be concerned for justice. We must be overcome by God's love for us. God is our loving Father. Peter says in verse 18 that we need to know that we, here it is, were ransomed. We need to know that God paid a price our sin. God did not just look at us and say, oh, they need to be rescued and just do away with sin. No, a price had to be paid to get rid of sin. And it wasn't money. God did not pay money, not silver or gold, as Peter says. The price that was paid, verse 19, was the precious blood of Christ, his own son. I do not have kids yet. I have an incredible nephew, favorite uncle right here, only uncle, but still favorite. I do not have kids yet, but I cannot imagine what it would be like to consider giving up your own son. But God did it, and here is our situation, church. We were sick with sin. And sometimes we, th we think we kind of downplay sin, but here's what sin was in our life. Sin was in our veins, and you could so to speak. Sin was a cancer that had permeated every cell in our body. It was terminal, and it was without a cure. We were hopeless. And the Bible teaches that because of that sin, the consequence of sin is death. And this is why when you read the Old Testament, Israel is making all these animal sacrifices. They are atoning for their sin. Sin requires blood to be spilled. And the people would look at the blood of the animals, and they would see the consequence of their sin. But in the New Testament, God does something incredible. He sends Jesus and Jesus is the one sacrificial lamb for us all, for all of our sin, who dies and sheds his blood. Therefore, when we look at the cross and we see the blood from his hands and his feet and his head and his side, 
we, we one, see the consequence of our sin, but we also see our salvation. We see God's justice and his love for us in one place. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us back to God. God sacrificed his son so that we might come back to him because he loved us, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could be holy with him. And when we recognize this love that we have been given, we cannot go on living as if nothing has happened. We cannot just continue as if everything is the same. If we have truly understood that love, then we can only respond by creating new habits in our life, new habits of being with God at church and in his word, new habits of praying and worshiping and singing because we have experienced the greatest love imaginable. God is our loving God, and therefore, Peter says, we should, this is his word, fear him. Fear is the language that Peter uses in verse 17. He says, and if you call on God as Father, conduct yourselves with fear. In short, Peter's saying, look, if you claim God as your loving Father, fear him. And fear might seem like a negative word, like I fear snakes, I fear spiders, you know, fear is associated negatively with us. But in this context, it means to revere, it means to honor, to respect. To not just look at God as, you know, just loving, but also look at him as an authority figure, a loving father. You can think of your earthly father, or if your earthly father is not a positive role model, if, you, if that's not a good model in your mind, think of someone in your life that you respect, that you honor, that you want to please, that you want to please with your life. Maybe a coach, a teacher, a grandparent, whoever raised you. Someone that you greatly admire and want to please. This is what it means to fear God. When I was in junior high, I worked a few days on my grandparents' peach farm up in Sydney, Arkansas. One night, I was helping my grandma count all the money from the, they would sell peaches by the road, and they'd bring the box, and I'd help my grandma count money. And in one of the lowest moments of my childhood, I still remember it, I stole a few bills for myself. I know, pastor sin too, it's terrible. But I stole a few bills for myself, and I was soon found out, and I had to take the money back and apologize, and I still remember the shame I felt from it, because what I remember is specifically is I knew my parents still loved me, but I knew that they were disappointed. I knew that they were displeased. I knew that my grandparents were. I knew love hadn't changed, but they were disappointed. When Peter says to fear God, this is what he means. Fear God's disappointment. Fear God's displeasure. God's love for us does not change. If we fail to live for him in a certain way, if we sin, our sins are covered. But it does not mean that God is displeased when we take the love that he's given us and not do, and not do anything with it. Fearing God is aiming to please God because he is our loving father. We don't fear God like we fear Zeus with a lightning bolt, you know, thinking he's going to smite us if we mess up. We fear God knowing what he's done for us, and we aim to please him. And let me be clear, you know, if, if we're aiming to please him and if we fail, God is not standing over us going, I'm so disappointed in you. He's forgiving us, but we need to have this mindset in our life of God wants to make us holy. We need to fear him. We need to please, we need to aim to please God. Based upon God's love for us, we live a holy life for him. 
And as we transition into applying this message to our lives, I want to share a story from the Old Testament. If you grew up in church, you know a lot of this story. If you did not grow up in church, that is okay. I'm going to tell the story now. If you're wondering, this is the story, a lot, big piece of the story from the Old Testament. God chose a people for himself. That people was, what was their name? Israel. Yes, God chose Israel. And in the book of Exodus, God chose Israel, and he told Israel, here's the thing. You shall be my tre treasured possession. You shall be to me a holy nation. And Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and God took them out. He destroyed the Egyptians. He rescued them. He took them to the promised land. And he said, I'm going to give you this land, and this land is going to bless you. You're going to have everything you need in it. And Israel came to the promised land, and they saw that it was good, like God says. But if you know the story, you know that they also saw that it was occupied by strong enemies, strong peoples, and fortified cities. And all of a sudden, the people of God started backing away and saying, nope, not worth it, not worth the effort. Um, and they actually say in Numbers 14, let us go back to Egypt. Let us go back into slavery. They essentially said, they decided that though God had saved them and given them inheritance in the promised land, they would rather go back and be slaves in Egypt. They decided that being slaves in Egypt was far better than being God's holy people, than the effort it was going to take to take the promised land, to be holy. And as the story goes, God heard their complaints and he punished them. He made them wander in the desert for 40 years in the wilderness. And during that 40 years, God did that so that all the older generation would die off. All those that rebelled and would not go into the promised land died off during that 40 years. And a new generation was raised in the wilderness, a generation that heard about God from their parents, that heard about how he rescued them from Egypt. These were people who were ready to follow God. They had a deep relationship with God. They were ready to go into the promised land, and God brought them back to the promised land, and this time they went in. They were ready to be God's holy people. Church, why did God make Israel wander for 40 years in the wilderness? I was asking myself this question. I will tell you why. He was creating a holy people. The first time he brought Israel to the promised land, they were not holy. They were rebellious. They were sinful. They were selfish. So he took them away, and he grew them into a holy people. And then he sent them into the promised land. Church, church God wants us to be holy now in our lives. He does not want us to wait until we get to heaven, to the promised land, to be worried about following him and being holy. God wants us to be a holy people that do mighty things for him now. He wants us to live holy lives now. So practically, how do we do this? Three, three ways you can think about doing this. Number one, study the Bible. Really, Sam? You know Sunday school is not happening right now, right? Yes, in, because in the Bible, we have the words, thoughts, and actions of God. If we want his holiness to rub off on us, if we want to be gentle like he is and loving and compassionate and wise like he is, we need to be encountering him in his word. And this isn't the only place. His spirit dwells within us, but this is the main, I would argue, one of the main places that he's given us. Study the Bible. And I realize that studying the Bible can be intimidating if you've never done it. So here's just a couple suggestions to catch God in his one. Number one, take a fellowship university class this summer. That's a great way. Number two, download the Bible app and start a plan. I was looking at the plans on the Bible app. There are so many. There's no excuse for us not studying the Bible, especially if you have a smartphone. Download the Bible app and start a plan. Study the Bible. Catch God in the Bible. Number two, 
Ask yourself some hard questions. Is holiness something I am thinking about? Is holiness something that is on my mind? Am I intentionally thinking about I need to be growing in my relationship with God? I need to be growing to be more like Christ. And if it's not, ask why. Why is it not a concern? Recognize that this is God's will for you in the now, right now. God's will is not for you to wait for heaven. God's will is not for your only experience with him to be when he saved you. God wants you to experience him every day growing in holiness. And last, live a holy life. And do this for a very specific reason. Do this for the sake of those that do not believe. We've talked the past couple weeks about how the culture we live in, if you look at the statistics, overall, Christianity is going down in our culture. We are becoming a culture that is largely non-Christian. And that's okay, because Peter is writing to a bunch of Christians that were in a non-Christian culture. doesn't mean that we're doing anything wrong. But it does mean we need to know how to be exiles. And one of the ways that we be exiles in this culture, because our series is called Exiles and Hope. The graphic went away. Our series is called Exiles and Hopes. How we be exiles is we live holy lives. Peter actually tells them multiple times throughout his letter, hey, when people come against you because you're Christians, put them to shame because of how loving you are, of how kind you are, of how generous you are, of how holy you are. So live a holy life for the sake of those that do not believe. I would encourage you, go to the questions sent out in the email. One of the questions is a self-examination question that is just, where do I need to grow in holiness? Ask yourself that question. What is, is there a situation in my life that I need to learn how to be holy like God in? Or is there an area of my life that I'm just not, maybe it's anger, maybe it's how to do with money in my life, maybe it's my work, where do I need to be holy in my life? I would encourage you, like, when you go home, when you leave this place, sometime this week, this afternoon, tomorrow, take time, do that for your devotion, think through that question, and ask God to show you. And in the end, remember the goal, church. The goal is not to make it through this life to get to heaven. The goal is to prepare for heaven, prepare for the promised land. The goal is to be holy now, to grow in holiness until that glorious day when we enter heaven and God makes us perfectly holy as he is. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Father, thank you for your word, how it encourages us, reminding us of your love for us, how you ransomed us. Father, thank you for how it also challenges us. Father, thank you that you have not just left us to sit in this world. You have saved us for a purpose. You've saved us so that we would be holy, so that we would know you more, so that other people would know you more through our holiness. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we would consider how can I be holy? What is an area of my life that is just not Christ-like? Father, I pray that you show everybody in this room and everybody watching out there, reveal these areas to them. Reveal them to me, God. Father, thank you for being the God that is not out there giving us rules to follow, but is the God that is walking next to us, guiding us through this life, pouring into us, growing us. Father, I pray that we would honor you as our Father, trusting in your love and living to please you, not ourselves. 
pray that you would increase and we would take decrease in our lives. Thank you for your gospel.